pounds. So I was pretty small, so you might have been some kind of a prove my place kind of thing, I'm not sure. But 18 years ago in this rocky place, um, I had the good fortune to discover that there's a thing called therapy. I recommend it to everybody. It's wonderful. My first therapist actually was Jewish, um, but I've also run into some very wonderful Christian ones as well. They all have a lot to offer when you're in that place. And at that time, I was living alone because of the separation. I'd moved to lower Fairfax County into Lorton area. And out my back door, immediately out my back door down in this fairly rural part of the county was a hundred-year-old church called Silverbrook United Methodist Church. And I said, you know, you ought to gun up your courage and just walk in there one Sunday morning. So I did. And I opened the doors and you're immediately in the sanctuary. It's so small. And there were maybe at most 30 people there. And Janet Salbert was the pastor. And... Slowly but steadily, they nursed me along, and I went to something called a retreat, called a weekend retreat, called Walk to Emmaus, which I highly recommend. And I was taken to a remote location in Maryland, and we spent the weekend, and we walked with God, and suddenly I realized that the God I'd kind of thought of as kind of out for retribution, kind of, kind of catching you every time you did something wrong, kind of had a tote board maybe, and you never could measure up, that kind of thing suddenly changed, and I realized, ha, there's this thing called grace. Yeah, it's great. It takes me as I am, flawed as I am, and takes me as I am. And that, that was very refreshing. At the same time, I have to say to you that the walk continues, but absolutely, it's been wonderful to take each of the steps in the ensuing years, to walk with people like the ones in this room who are so strong and so supportive. Um, I just have to say that Psalm 63 for me, with its reference to that dryness, came to me 18 years ago and struck me. The dryness, suddenly the desert had meaning. <laughs> the talk about I need water, suddenly had meaning. The crying out, I'm lost. That's why we have Psalm 63 today. Thanks. Thank you both. Well, I have to say for myself, I've probably read Psalm 63, I don't know, a hundred times, hundreds of times. It's one of my favorites as well. But there was something about sitting with Buzz at Rappahannock Coffee where I felt like I had heard this psalm and imagined this psalm so many times, but I had not like felt it physically in my body in quite the way I did when we read it together and when Buzz talked about the way that language of the desert, of the sand and the dryness struck him. And I'm going to read that first line of the psalm again. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Those experiences of thirst and of longing and of dryness and of weariness, those had just been sort of spiritual metaphors, and they're good metaphors. Those are really great and potent symbols. But when Buzz described it for me, they came alive for me as real things 
kind of in the way they came alive for Buzz as real things 18 years ago. And there can be this danger in the Psalms that this language that is so far removed from our own reality can kind of stay a metaphor. It can stay kind of safe and tame and at a distance and something that doesn't actually really touch our real lives. But the Psalms can't do their work in us if they stay these neat and tidy metaphors. And for Buzz, what made that psalm more than a metaphor, what made it real for him, was the experience of pain and loss. And that's true for all of us. We keep hearing that in the stories of these psalms, that it's in these difficult and painful and lost and lonely moments that these psalms become real. They actually become our words of prayer. And what I've appreciated is the way throughout this series we've been able to enter into one another's pain and loss. We've been able to experience the Psalter, it's our book of Psalms, as what it was written to be, an actual communal prayer book, not just something we listen to on our app in the morning or we read as part of our you know, morning quiet before the day begins, even though that is great but a real way to enter into and share one another's pain and to pray in the language that has been meaningful to one another through that pain and with one another. And I think it's been such a gift to hear and share those struggles and it's breathed new life into the Psalms for me as this place where it's not just my prayers, it's not just the prayers of the Jewish people, although those are quite important but it's a place of all of our prayers. It's where we have gone together for our bitterest anger and jealousy, for our deepest, most gutting losses. And that also helps us enter into the way the Psalms have always been prayed by Christians throughout all the centuries. And it also helps us enter into the way Jesus prayed the Psalms, the way he prayed from the Psalms at the Last Supper, the way he prayed the Psalms from the cross. So this morning, I want to take my cue from Buzz and focus on the part of this Psalm that takes place in the desert, the language and the imagery of the desert that was so impactful to him all those years ago. And the reason this Psalm has that desert language is because it was written by King David when his son Absalom had kind of created a coup and was plotting against him, had assembled all these armies against him, and wanted to kill him. And so David fled the city, he crossed the River Jordan, and he went deep, deep into the desert wilderness, fearing for his life. And so when in this Psalm, David is talking about a dry and weary land, he's talking about an actual dry and weary land. He wrote this in the desert. And when he's talking about thirst, he's talking about a mouth that probably hasn't touched more than a few drops of water for days or weeks that doesn't know when he will drink to the full again. David is moving and hiding kind of furtively across this vast and hostile landscape. He's under this sun that is unrelenting, and he is totally unprotected in this desert that could not care less whether he lives or dies. This psalm is about real danger, a real landscape, and the very real struggle to find the love of God in the desert. 
to praise God even there. And the desert was a real place for all of the psalmists. The story of the Jewish people is one of coming to the end of themselves in the desert and then finding God there, being led, rescued, tended, guided, fed by God there, not just once, but again and again. We heard a part of that story in our reading from Nehemiah that Grant read, where they remembered how God didn't forsake them, but how he guided them and fed them. And the desert was a real place for Jesus and his disciples who lived at the edge of the Palestinian desert. And in today's gospel reading, we heard them cross over there, trying to find a bit of peace, a bit of solace in this wild, desolate place. But they were followed by these desperate and hungry and thirsty crowds, and they had no food. And Jesus met them there at the end of themselves and in need, and he fed them till they were full. And the desert was a real place for the earliest Christians. And in fact, some early Christians in the first few centuries of our faith decided to make their home in the most hostile parts of the desert, on pillars and in caves, in places where nothing could grow and where they wouldn't see another living soul for quite a long time, because they believed there was something about the way this physical place actually helped them encounter God's love in a way that other places didn't. And there's this particular kind of spirituality, this particular way of seeing and experiencing God that Christians have always sought in the desert. Because unlike mountains or forests or fields of wildflowers or meadows full of songbirds, which is sort of my favorite, or oceans, the desert has its own way of communicating about our relationship with God. It's this place where God's glory actually seems hidden. It seems like it's missing or absent. It seems like God's voice is silent. It's a really harsh and hostile place. It is completely indifferent to our survival. And it actually batters the human body and the soul. It strips away and it empties. St. Jerome said, the desert loves to strip bare. But the desert empties and strips so that God alone can fill us. And that's what we hear in this psalm. I'm going to read verse 1 again. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The psalmist is saying, I am utterly emptied. I am stripped bare. All I feel here is your absence, God. Then he goes on in verse 2 to remember a different time, to remember what it was like to be in the fullness of God's presence in the temple. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. If that first verse is all about the absence of God, then here we have the fullness of God. Here we have the memory of what it was like to drink in all the cool and refreshing presence and love and power of God in his temple. And so then in verse 3, David says the most stunning thing to God. He says, your love is better than life. He's gone through this vast desert of body and soul, this emptying, this stripping away, this thirst and longing, 
And in that emptying, he has discovered that God's love is the only thing his body and his soul really needs, more even than life itself. And Buzz mentioned a moment ago how he couldn't even imagine sand as a child or wearing sandals because, you know, we live in Virginia, we're surrounded by so much green, and Buzz was used to his feet being covered in, you know, sensible shoes. And I think we have that tendency when we think about the desert and then we think about our own lives. We can't really imagine what it is to be emptied if we are always full. It's hard for us to imagine what it is to be stripped away when we are always comfortable, warm, clothed, and fed. But this is where the spirituality of the desert can help us find that love that is better than life. Whenever we encounter those barren places, whether we physically go to the desert, which some of you have done, or whether we are in the midst of a barren and painful and dry time where God seems absent and we are absolutely at the end of ourselves. Those desert places can make us so hungry and so thirsty and so empty that only God can fill us and that he fills us to be full. So I want to be careful in saying all that not to glorify the idea of suffering and certainly not to say that there is something more holy or special about a desert landscape or about a period of intense pain. Because scripture is clear that where all of history and all of our lives are going is not to some minimalist wasteland. It's going toward a beautiful city and a lush garden and a flowing river and a tree where every tear will be wiped away and the nations will be healed and pain and sorrow will be no more. So we don't need to idealize suffering. We don't need to idealize the desert. But here on this side of that vision, on this side and moment in history, the deserts of our lives can hollow us out and empty and strip us away and make us hungry for God in a way nothing else can. And God still wants to feed us in the desert. He invites us every week to this table to feed us his body that was broken for us and his blood that was poured out for us. God emptied himself for us completely on the cross in a desert. And there is no emptiness that we will ever face that he does not want to fill and fill to the full. So I actually just want to close by reading again those words we heard from Paul about the love of God from Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.